This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hi, welcome, welcome, welcome. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, Pet Life Radio's only live call-in show. So uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can send us a text. You can uh, give us a call, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. And uh, we can talk to you live while we're here. Talk about anything you want. It's like... Uh, as I said, I learned something new, AMA. No, not the American Medical Association. It's Ask Me Anything. So um, now is your chance. You know, I've been concierge doctor my entire career. My day started this morning. Not that it was that welcome. But it wasn't planned. But at 5.30 a.m. when I got a call from one of my clients. So just um, say we're always available here. And if um, it's not during our show, you can always send me a quick little email to drjeff, that's drjeff, at petliferadio.com. They'll be forwarded to me, and I will get back to you. And uh, we can maybe talk about your problem on show, or maybe have you here live with us to talk about what's going on. Anyway, as many of you know, I do like to go through the news, go through what's going on in the veterinary world. So uh, a couple things that, that I caught my eye. I do a lot of eye work, <laughs> pun intended. And um, corneal ulcers are something we have to deal with. They're, they're unfortunately very common, certainly in the pushed-in-face breeds, like the, the Boston Terriers and the Pugs and the Frenchies, which I have, and the Shih Tzus and the Losses and the Japanese Chins, et cetera, et cetera. These dogs are prone to corneal irritation. Dogs that like to stick their head out of a car at 75 miles an hour on the freeway, they too are at risk of some corneal injury. And typically, well, going back years and years ago, we used to do something on most all ulcers. It was a surgery called the third eyelid flap. And the third eyelid is that, that little inner membrane called the nictitans that comes up over the eye when dogs blink and cats as well. So we used to do a flap where we used to take that membrane, bring it up over the eye and basically attach it temporarily to the upper, the inside of the upper lid. And that would then create sort of like a patch because you couldn't put a patch on a pet's eye and expect it to stay there. So we used to create a patch using the anatomically friendly Nictitans third eyelid. Then as time goes on and the ophthalmologists became more sophisticated, realized that, you know what, we can treat these as, as an open wound that's just actually better because then we can see it all the time. So we put the collar on it. We don't want the dogs or cats rubbing. We can take a look at it, and there's many things we can do. We can use one drop to eliminate the pain. We can use another drop to heal the ulcer. We can also draw some of the pet's own blood, spin it down, draw off the serum, and actually insert their own serum in their eyes because healing factors are in their serum. And because it's their own, we don't worry about rejection. And now we do, we, we treat them as an open wound. So anyway... There's a new treatment that's been, uh, they've been working on it, and I think it's really cool. Basically, it's a new way that it comes from the human side, and it's basically called corneal cross-linking. So what they do is they add riboflavin drops to the eye, and then they shine some ultraviolet light, UV light, on the eye, and basically it causes collagen fibers to adhere together. They bind together, 
And that creates like it's the own healing effect, allowing the cornea to then heal. So still in its infancy, as far as staging, it sounds extremely promising. Other things that now they have, they have these very micro thin, clear plastic contact lenses that you put over the eye when the, when your pet has a corneal ulcer, a corneal abrasion, an erosion, a scratch, anything like that. And that too keeps it more comfortable and it protects the eye, the cornea itself. I mean, mind you, the cornea is one of the most important parts of the eye, of course, as far as protection. It's seven layers. The outermost two layers are actually tear film layers. And then you have your five layers. The innermost layer that is separating the protection from the what we call the anterior chamber is a membrane called Decimet's membrane. If you've heard the term or your pet has ever had a Desmetaseal, that's where we get dangerous because if that ruptures, if that little bubble coming from Decimet's membrane breaks through, then the aqueous, the, the liquid in the front part of the eye is going to leak out. That's a major problem. Now you're looking at some major cornea work, seeing an ophthalmologist, veterinary ophthalmologist. So we don't want that. The bad news is that the more superficial an ulcer, as far as the pet is concerned, it's actually more painful because the nerve endings are in the outermost layers of the cornea. So even though a dysmetaseal is much more serious, much worse to have, they're not as painful. But a very, very superficial corneal ulcer is very painful. In fact, one of the things that we note is that the dog is going to come in because it's squinting. And um, that is a total giveaway. There might be a problem. And then history, oh, he was at the park playing. He just came back from the groomer. So mind you, most of the soaps that are used are not damaging. What it is, is if they sit there long enough. So you don't have to panic. We used to put like a petrolatum gel in the eye before a bath. Not necessary. All you need to do is Make sure that when the pet's being rinsed, you rinse the eyes very well. And you don't want to leave anything, any residue that they might be pawing. Sometimes when they have a problem after bath, it's not the actual soap itself, though if it sits there long enough, yes, it can be irritating. But it's the dog rubbing against the eye that sometimes causes the problem. So anyway, looking forward to that. Once again, the, the term is called corneal cross-linking, and it seems super promising. Another report from the AVMA, telemedicine is connecting vets to patients both distant and far, both distant and near, and near it could be their own. As many of you know, if you follow me on the show, I have my telemedicine platform called AirVet. If you haven't downloaded it yet, you definitely should. That We are getting so many positive responses from pet owners, pet parents like yourselves to have access to a veterinarian 24-7. If your own veterinarian is not signed up. You can just let me know. You can send me a note. I will happily personally talk to your veterinarian, have their office sign up. It costs them nothing. It costs you nothing to sign up. It's $30 a call. The first call is free, covered by Pet First Pet Insurance. And of course, if you are a Pet First Pet Insurance customer, all your calls will be free. So uh, that might be a little incentive if you're thinking about pet insurance to try to go and check out Pet First. What many of us do, just so you know, 30 bucks, it's cheaper than most, uh, definitely cheaper than any office call that I know. It's cheaper than most recheck office calls. And what I do for my uh, clients that come in, that they came in to me because of an air vet call. 
and the doctor taking the call recommended still, regardless of the call, that they should just to be safe, see their doctor, which in case of my clients, it's me. I will then subtract the 30 bucks from their bill. So it is such a win-win-win, providing a lot of convenience, a lot of safety, a lot of just having that peace of mind. Because when you think about the fact that 80% of emergencies, 80% are not emergencies, but your office, your doctor's office, your veterinarian has a recording on at night that says, hi, thanks for calling. We're closed. If you have an emergency, go to so-and-so emergency clinic. And guess what? You're going to go. And guess what? To walk in the door, it's at least 150 bucks. Just to walk in the door. And when you hear the fact that 80% of emergencies aren't, that you could have spoken to someone real time, FaceTime. We have great video. I could see the pet. We could see the, the owner talk to you face to face and give you some suggestions. And if it is an emergency, then you need to go. But at least you're going to go on one of the 20% of real emergencies, hopefully, and not one of the 80% that aren't emergencies. And then, of course, as many of you have found out, a lot of the emergency clinics nowadays are associated with specialty clinics. Specialty clinics that have surgeons and have internal medicine specialists and have ophthalmologists and have behaviorists and have you dentists. Before you know it, you are stuck there in that specialty clinic bind where you cannot get out and your vet doesn't even know about it. And I bet you that 80% of the things that they're going to do and talking you into could have been handled by your regular veterinarian at probably a half to two thirds the price. So keep that in mind. If you get the feeling that I think emergency clinics might be taking advantage of some of you, guess what? You're right. I do think so. And um, from as a practitioner standpoint, when I know that many of the things that they're doing, I could do for less money. So they're taking my business away, not offering to you to say, oh, you know, we got you through the night. Bowser's doing fine. Still needs a lot of work. So let me call your vet and see if they feel comfortable doing this or might they want someone else to do it. No, they don't do that. They just take over the case. You don't know any better and nor should you. And it kind of pisses me off a little bit. So anyway, that's what I get to have. I get to have my own soapbox. Thanks to Pet Life Radio. Uh, so uh, it uh, makes me feel really good. So I thank uh, Mark Winter for that as well, for helping me have this platform to let, let you know how I really feel about things. Okay, not all dogs are swimmers. Pools are the most common site of canine drowning. And I know my mother had a dog that drowned. I actually, sadly, we had a dog that drowned. And um, I, we definitely, well, I have kids and grandkids. I, my, so I, we put that, you know, that protecting around the pool, that gate. So now my dogs can't get in without me being there. But what you should do is training and swim lessons get help. And, you know, just give you a cute story. We had a gate separating the dogs. And it, for some reason, it didn't latch. I had a Labrador at the time and a puppy Labradoodle. And my daughter went through the gate. It didn't, it's, it's got one of those automatic closures. It's got the spring. For some reason, it just didn't latch. My Labrador, of course, is a swimming nut or was. He's now long gone. So he somehow nudged open the gate. And of course, the little seven month old Labradoodle followed. And they got in the pool together. We don't know what happened. This is way before having nest cameras and ring cameras to see what's going on. Now, you know, we have the whole area well monitored. We think, of course, if we, this is what we want to think, 
that they fell in or it, well, the big guy went in, the little guy fell in and the big guy, my Labrador was trying to save him and in the process probably put him under instead of got him out. We just don't know. Obviously daughter got home. It was, this all happened within 15 minutes. It was just so sad. Anyway, we then, we spoke to our, our breeder friend who had the doodles. We got another Labradoodle. So this one, au contraire, this one was afraid of the water. So yet he was the best ball chaser on the planet. He was better than our Labradors. So I figured, ah, I know. I'm going to carry him into the pool, and I'm going to have a tennis ball with me, and I'm going to toss the tennis ball a few feet away and see what he does. Guess what? He tore away from my arms, and he got that ball so fast, and he realized, wow, this swimming stuff is pretty darn fun. P.S. He became such an amazing swimmer. And again, he wasn't as fast as my lab, but he was grace in the water. He would not splash. He would glide effortlessly through the water. It was just a beautiful thing to watch. So dogs can be trained. My Frenchies have fallen into the pool chasing after my Labradors and my Labradoodle all the time. And they, I taught them where the steps are. Are Can they swim? Of course they can. Do they love it? They hate it. But you, if you think some of these dogs already have bug eyes, wait until you stick them in the pool and you see them panic as they race towards the stairs. But um, it's very important if you have a pool uh, to have, make sure your dogs are water safe. And if not, make sure they have zero, zero access to the pool. This was, uh, speaking of doodles, this was a cute story. A woman beats up on a coyote. So what happened was she was visiting her friend from out of town. She's actually from UK. And she was here in the States visiting her friend who had a little mini golden doodle. And they're in the backyard. She heard screaming and saw a coyote. That was actually going after and starting to bite and wanted to pick up the golden doodle. She ran outside. She kicked the thing and then she smacked it full fist right in the face and it ran away. Fortunately, the golden doodle was fine, had a little puncture, nothing, uh, no, no big deal. But uh, anyway, hats off to her. That's, that's great. This story, and I'm sure you've heard on the news, you've seen it, it was on Inside Edition this week. And it is very, very disturbing to me as a veterinarian, one who... If I look back on my 35 years, now I'm in my 36th year of practice, how crazy is that? That I would not have done anything differently, nor would I. This is the best profession on the planet. I have more fun than anybody I know. But now veterinarians lead the list of medical professionals committing suicide. We have taken over from the dentists. Not a feat that I like to boast about, but it is reality. Many reasons for it. I think that cyberbullying is certainly possible. Something called compassion fatigue. You know, one of the things, obviously, when we become veterinarians, it's not all about the science. It's not about the medicine. For me, it's about the love. It's about the, the attachment I have with pets and animals. And so when they die, when we have to put them to sleep, when we are faced in a situation where we just can't fix them, it really does hurt. And for me, I, I knew this going into it. It's part of the game. I wish I could save 100%. I can't. My statistics are pretty damn good. I'm saving it well into the high 90s, but I can't save them all. And um, so it's tough. And any of that. And then last thing, just to put in contrast, and yes, times have changed. Any of you that have sending your kids to private school, sending your kids to college, it'll floor you. I graduated in the University of California, Davis. 35 years ago, 1984. And back then, my tuition, number one veterinary school on the planet. And my tuition was a whopping $500 a quarter. We were in the quarter system, three quarters, $1,500 a year 
four years, $6,000. It cost me more to send my kids to nursery school than it did for me to go through four years of vet school at the number one veterinary school on the planet. So it's pretty frustrating. Now, average student debt, $275,000 with the average starting salaries, the hours. It's tough for many, many young veterinarians to make this happen, to meet the pay- make the payments, have a life. And that too contributes to, I think, this high suicide rate. But if you ask me, I think it's the compassion fatigue and cyberbullying most. And, you know, we used to say that I used to lecture on marketing and we used to say that obviously it's very, very important to make clients happy, try to have success. But I tell my audience, it's actually more important to not piss people off. If you screw up, things don't go right because when someone's happy about a service, now going back, this is going back 25 years, this is way before the internet. When someone was happy, they would tell, and not only would they tell only three people, it would be in a situation, you're not going to have a good experience somewhere and run home, get out your phone book, right? And start calling all your friends. Oh my God. Oh my God. I just had the best experience. No. What you're going to do, think of seeing a good movie. Okay. When is the subject of a, this good movie that you saw that you want to share with your friends? Are you going to call them all as soon as you get back from the movie or next time you happen to see them? at a social function, and the subject of movies comes up, and they someone says, so what have you seen lately? Ah, then you're going to say, oh, I saw so-and-so movie. It was fantastic, etc." All right? But when it comes to someone who's really pissed about something, a terrible experience at a restaurant, terrible experience at a veterinarian, they used to go home and not tell three, tell nine or ten people. So I used to lecture and say, just think, you guys, for every one person that leaves you unhappy, you have to work three times as hard because on the good side, they're only going to tell three people. So to match it out, to to equal, uh, sort of keep the equation equal on both sides, you'd have to go ahead and three versus nine, you got to do three times as hard. Now with the internet, same thing, go to Yelp. If you go to any of the sites on anything, Judy's, City Search, Google, you're going to see, first of all, they're usually in chronological order. Let's say someone really was bad and they saw the complaints and they fixed it. They trained their staff. They did all these good things right? And that bad review or reviews were four years ago. Lately, the reviews are great. Everything is fine. Guess what Yelp does? They keep that bad review from four and five and six years ago right on the front page. And then they call the business and they try to get money out of them so they can get those reviews kind of swapped around. So basically, they're the most obnoxious company in the whole world. I mean, when someone says to me, that I asked on a new client. So how did you hear about us? How'd you hear about me? Oh, through Yelp. I, are you joking? Do you need glasses? How could you have read that Yelp and still come to me? Meanwhile, if you go to Google, you go to see, you go to any of the others, glowing, glowing reviews. So really, oh, by the way, I've had clients of mine tell me they put up, a, a, you know, they couldn't believe some of the bad reviews on Yelp. They put up a fantastic Yelp review and guess where? They took it down after a day because they feel that, oh, you're not a professional Yelper. Because if you look, there's a little noise that tells you how many reviews they've made and they keep up. They give preference to the professional Yelpers because they Yelp and they get, you know, they they get to stay on that front page longer. And typically those, the ones that are complaining all the time are complainers. I had my remember my very first bad review and um, it was something that my girls at the front desk truly made a mistake. So I contacted the client. Oh, by the way, I used to answer them privately. When you answer a Yelp review, you can do it publicly. Now I always do it publicly. Why? I got a dentist as a client, a new client. And I, so I said, why? why did you, what was about that Yelp review that you thought was good? He goes, oh no, it wasn't the review. I'm a medical professional. I know, I know the both It was how you answered it. 
That's when I said, oh, my God, this is a good guy. So um, I now answer the public because I did not this one. This was my, one of my first ones. I did it privately. I apologize. I thanked her for the, for the review because I was able to handle it with my staff and, and it just gave me something I didn't know was going on. So whenever I hear these, I really I act upon them. We sat down at our next staff meeting. We talked about it. We you know, rectified the situation. This shouldn't happen again. But again, thank you so much. Oh, and you never ask them. Never ask them to take the review down. No, no. If they want to do it, they do it on their own. P.S., if you got that, and oh, if I, I offered her next time you come in, the office call will be on me because I felt so terribly that you had such a bad experience, et cetera. If she wanted resolution, at the very least, the very least, she would write me back again and say, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to go elsewhere, which, which would be fine. She did nothing. I got nothing back. And that told me right there, these people don't want resolution. They don't want to get the problem fixed. All they want to do is complain. Well, you know, to hell with you. Complain all you want. So um, next up, we're going to just go straight through only because uh, I started a little late and I have so much to talk about. So this is interesting and this is you just should all know. Bleach, by the way, is very, very caustic. You never, 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 if a dog gets a hole of bleach, if it gets in their eyes, if they swallow it, they're pretty much a goner. It's very toxic. Now, when, and a lot of people do this, they will take one of these citrus cleaners, something that has limonene, and then to enhance the cleaning potential, they'll pour some bleach in there. Well, guess what? Not a good idea if you have pets, because anything with limonene mixing with bleach, all right, it forms like very potent airborne particulates, and they can cause respiratory damage and other adverse problems. So very, very toxic to people and pets. So just be very careful if you have that cleaning agent that's, you know, it's got that lemon scent and it's citrusy. And if you look in the ingredients, it's, you see limonene, do not mix it with bleach. Or if you do, which is okay. Keep your pets away from the room that you're cleaning or from the object that you're cleaning and for yourselves as well. Uh, you might want to put a mask on or do something that will protect you from breathing in those potentially very dangerous fumes. So one of the things that we talked about last week, and again, we only have a couple of minutes, so I think I'm going to put it off again. And uh, that was we talked we started talking last time about allergies and we talked about the different types and, and dogs versus cats and uh, cats having miliary dermatitis, which gives us no clue as to what the allergens are. Dogs exhibit their dermatitis in certain parts of the body that kind of give us a clue as to what might be the answer. If it's a lower back on the rump, around the tail, yes, of course, we think of fleas. If it's in the uh, belly, the chest, the groin area, in between the legs, the back of the thighs, yeah, we think of pollens. If it's the ears, if it's the feet, chewing, attacking the feet, especially the front feet, then we think of food. I mean, ears also could be any of the allergies, especially atopy as well. So not that they are diagnostic, but they kind of give you a ballpark. When I see the rump all irritated, I will go through that, that hair and I can almost guarantee that I'm going to see either fleas or flea dirt. Now, the case come in just last week, two dogs scratching like crazy, all of a sudden, like turning around and going, you know, what they do, they, they kind of nibble at themselves. That's a flea allergy. But they had just given a, a trifexis, which is a very, very good flea medication. They had given it two days earlier and there were no fleas. But what I saw was so much flea dirt. What is flea dirt? For those of you who don't know, it's kind of gross. But flea dirt is the dog's own dried blood. How <laughs> pretty gross when you think about it. So they take their blood meal, the fleas. And that comes out the other end of their elementary tract. And it's called flea dirt. It's just dry blood. If you take those little black specks and put a little water on them, they're going to turn like red, like a, like a burgundy color. 
So uh, it's dried blood. What can you do? It, it is what it is. So these dogs were loaded, loaded with flea dirt. And so I know that the reason for the itch was initially the fleas. And now, two days later, still scratching like crazy. It was probably the flea allergy, FAD, flea allergy dermatitis, also known as flea allergic dermatitis. And um, so we can't ignore it. Just getting rid of the fleas is not the only answer. And as I told them, all the good flea killers that we have, and there are many out there, they kill the adults. In order for them to work, whether it's a topical, they're not really repellents. They are flea killers. The flea has to take a blood meal. So if it's one flea, two fleas, they take the blood meal, they die, eh, you're off the hook. But if you have a major flea infestation and every flea, who's they're going to die? I found no live fleas on either of these two dogs, but because of the flea medication. But there was enough biting taking place, enough deposition of flea saliva, which is, causes the this, this source of the allergy. So they were still itching like crazy. So um, anyway, we have to treat this. There's also secondary infection that happens because as they break the skin, they get a little infection and that is also itchy. So this all sort of, they all work in unison to create a very miserable dog. So we um, treated the allergy, treated the antibiotics. They took home some medicated flea shampoo and the dogs are fortunately doing better, more comfortable, but it's very important to stay on top of the fleas. And also when the fleas are not a problem, as our seasons are changing, we still got ticks. And ticks can be year-round. Ticks don't mind the cold weather. So make sure you keep your flea and tick medications throughout the year. As I said, there are a lot of good ones. Speak with your veterinarian. So next week or next time, we may have a guest next week. I'm working on it. Really, really well-known uh, exotic animal vet. So here I talk mostly dogs and cats, occasionally bunny, occasionally. But she does all the weird exotic pets. Very well-known. She's written a book. Or maybe, I think she's on her second book, actually. But anyway... Uh, we're going to try to get her live on the show uh, in the next week or two or three. So um, until then, oh, so but I, what I wanted to talk about at some point, we want to finish the discussion on allergies. I know I'm sorry to keep you, you know, holding. I'm just trying to get you to continue to listen, of course. But we're going to talk about um, how to diagnose allergies. What are the options that we have nowadays to diagnose the allergies? And then more importantly, how to treat them. What can we do? What works? What doesn't work? What was old? What's new? And um, make sure to keep your pet, keep your pet just comfortable as possible so that's all we have time for today on this wonderful sunday here it's, i'm in southern california it is magnificent outside i can't wait to get outside and i'm going to swim today with my dogs of course so uh anyway um have a great week uh we'll be here next week hopefully with a guest if not we'll talk more about allergies and we'll have our guest Lori on her name is dr Lori hess if you want to look her up um she's uh, very talented so, uh, have a good week, everybody. Once again, if you haven't downloaded AirVet, download AirVet. And you can always get a hold of me with any questions, any problems. Uh, just uh, reach me here at drjeff at petliferadio.com. Once again, thanks to Mark for uh, producing a wonderful show. And uh, we will see, here, see you here next week. Have a great week, everybody. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand only on PetLifeRadio.com.